Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for uh, making your way to this uh, series here. Hopefully, if you're not already, you'll uh, become a subscriber as well. Hit that subscribe button, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, wherever you'd like to get your podcast from, and we'll bring you three new interviews every single week, one Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so you can keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones and know what's happening in the music world. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today I'm going to be talking with Elliot Easton. Now, Elliot is the guitarist for The Cars, but also part of the supergroup The Empty Hearts, and they have their second record called The Second Album. Uh, the Empty Hearts, that's Clem Burke, drummer for Blondie, Elliot from The Cars, Wally Palmer from The Romantics, and Andy Babwick. And we're going to talk all about their record, which is uh, uh, really heavily in influenced on the, uh, on the 60s sound that they all grew up with. In fact... There's a lot of Beatles influences, and that just goes further uh, because Ringo Starr is actually a guest on this record. So I am going to be asking about how that came about and the Beatles influences growing up with Beatlemania and really how, you know, a, a lot of these artists, they came uh, to, to attention in the late 70s and early 80s during an era that we would dub as New Wave. 
Elliot's and I are going to talk about how, as it turns out, a lot of those folks, especially the folks that he's playing with here, were always naturally nostalgic. We think about New Wave as a very futuristic sound for the age, but it really had one foot back in their childhood. So we're going to get deep into that one, as well as his objection to the New Wave tag. Uh, we'll discuss all the vintage instruments that were used on this, how Elliot says he likes to compose solos. He doesn't wing them. They are composed as if they were a song in themselves. And we'll also be talking about the cars. You know, it's Panorama's 40th anniversary. And uh, interestingly, Shake It Up, it would be on the next album, but was originally intended to be on that record. So I want to hear the story behind that one. And as far as the cars, of course, we lost Rico Kasich back in 2019. Uh, but up until that moment, there were still plans to uh, possibly make another Cars album. So we'll hear about that as well. So let's get into this and discuss this new album from the Empty Hearts called the second album. It's Kyle Meredith with Elliot Easton. How are hey, you? Kyle. I'm doing well. As you know, I'm sequestered in with my guitars and music and my Kindle book and binge watching, just trying to make the most of it like everybody else. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> well, the Empty Hearts, you have your, se your second record. It's called The Second Album, uh, a lovely title right there. And it once again finds you guys kind of uh, hitting those, uh, those 60s musical points that you had in the past. Uh, it is such a fun listen. And it's not only, by the way, it's not only the uh, the sounds that we're hearing. Like, you're pulling in some new guests here from the 60s. I mean, if you're going to talk about it, you're, of course, going to be talking about the Beatles. You got Ringo Starr on here. What what was the story with that? It's unbelievable. On the first record, it, it, it my mind was blown that we could get Ian McCloggan from the Small Faces and Rod Stewart and the Faces to play keyboards. And on this record, forget it. I mean, it's like the completing of a circle. I was 10 years old when the Beatles played the Ed Sullivan show, February 9th, 1964. And they're almost like a religion to me. I mean, it's Beatles are everything to me almost. So it, it was just unbelievable to get Ringo to play. Like, to, you know, if you would have told me back then that one day you, you're going to make a record, you're going to make records anywhere. And that one day Ringo from the Beatles is going to play on, on one. I would thought, you know, you're crazy. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, so all these years later to have that happen was just a, a tremendous gift and such a, like a, a, a childhood dream and completing kind of a circle, you know, just, wow, what a gift. So, so, so then how, what did you do? How, how did Ringo end up on the record? I mean, do, what do you just pick up the phone and be like, Hey boss, what's going on? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's even funnier than that. We weren't thinking to ourselves, wow, it, wouldn't it be great if, if we could get Ringo to play on the record? We had the song, and I think Wally said, or somebody said, man, it, would really, it really needs that sort of floppy tom-tom Ringo kind of like cool, deep, laid-back groove a little behind the beat with those off-beat off kind of like Tom feels he did. And Wally had played in Ringo's all-star band, and, and I know him uh, socially, and so Wally... <laughs> just called him and asked him because they're friends. And he was, uh, he was working on some other stuff for his new record. And he was in, in his studio with his assistant. And so it was just in these, in, you know, in these modern times, a matter of just sending the files to him and his engineer put it on. He put his headphones on and played his drum set to our song and sent it back. And there's Ringo on drums on our song. Incredible. I grew up in New York. And so, and, and, and my high school years were 68 to 71. So I, I was there, you know, a teenager for some really great, you know, stuff. Yeah, it's it's not, nothing like being like first generation, like having experienced some of that stuff in the moment, like Beatlemania, for right. instance. You know, to be in Long Island when the Beatles were in New York in February 64, 
it's impossible to explain how exciting that was. The whole city was insane. My whole bus was singing, I want to hold your hand. Kids, bullies that would usually beat you up, everybody was singing. You can't describe that kind of stuff. Right. My first rock concert was Jimi Hendrix opening for the Monkees at Forest Hills. Famous, uh, it's a famous thing. He got booted off the tour. It was right after Monterey. And it was all little girls yelling, Davey, Mickey. And their moms were covering their eyes. And Jimmy was making love to his guitar and doing his act. And that was my first rock concert. Wow. Jeez, man. No, it's, and that's the thing, because back then, everything was so focused. Obviously, the way we are these days, you have a billion choices. So it's hard for any body, you know, any one person or a group of people even to to get that sort of attention. I mean, when, even when you look at the biggest pop stars today, it's still not to that level, you know. I don't know if it's as life changing. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right. Like, it meant everything. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a pastime or this or that. It it, it kind of brings around to like th- this Empty Hearts record that we did. Because mm-hmm. my my concept and the way I expressed it to Andy and the fellas was that when growing up in, in those high school years, like music was like a shared experience. And when a, an important record came out, like the new Beatle album or a new Stones album or some, you know, great new album, it was like a new movie, you know, it was like a, an event. So, you know, you'd get the record, go over to a friend's house and take off the plastic and a bunch of guys, friends would be in the guy's bedroom, you know, and maybe you'd toke up and puff a little bit and you'd listen to the whole record from beginning to end without even talking and you'd read the all the liner notes and stare at the cover and try to glean whatever you could from the whole experience and then afterwards you'd talk about it like what'd you think and and it was like a shared wonderful thing and so my my fondest hope for this record was that I wanted to do a record with that sort of white album variety revolver mm-hmm. kind of re- where it, it's the record starts you off at point A and drops you off at point B and takes you on a little trip. And even though there's like idiomatically all kinds of different stuff in there, like with the Beatles, there could be a, a vaudevillian musical song and then a, a psychedelic montage like Tomorrow Never Knows and then a beautiful love song here, there and everywhere, or whatever it is. Mm. And I wanted to do a record that, you know, could do that. You could, you could explore different styles, but it still sounds like you. The way those records, it always sounded like them, even though one song was country and Western and one was like backwards tapes. <laughs> right, and it all worked together. So, you know, so, so when I listen to this Empty Hearts record, that is one of the things I think, because, you know, so this is your all second album. And, uh, you know, when you look at it and you throw the word supergroup in there because of everyone that's involved and, and from the era that you're all from, which, you know, we're going to categorize because it has been forever of this, this new wave era. It's the first time that it dawned on me, and I might be saying something that um, many rock historians have said before, but, but it's the first time that dawned on me about how nostalgic the new wave bands of that era we're already like if you took the synth out you know yeah. it what you're doing now and and a lot of the 60s throwback music with the empty hearts isn't so far removed from what you specifically were doing with the cars am i am i off by that you're not off at all i i, I had the same thought i had to pick uh i'm, I'm doing a, a, another show next week and i had to pick some favorites of from the cars and empty hearts and some favorite bands that were influenced and 
the car song I chose was a song that you probably won't even know. It was on Door to Door album, which was the last album proper. Mm-hmm. And it's a song called Everything You Say. And it, it's, it's, it, it's almost like, like if you took the 80s reverb off of it and brought up the acoustic guitars and the Bakersfield uh, chicken picking Telecaster, it, it, it could be like a Graham Parsons song. And it has that vibe, you know, it could be a burrito song or something or a country rock song. So unlike what you would associate the car as being like sleek and streamlined and high tech. But at the core, you're right. I mean, for instance, Best Friends Girl, obviously a rockabilly lick in the middle of whatever, the, you know, whatever else was going on. Or, you know, a rockabilly lick sort of adapted from the Beatles, I will. <laughs> um, fair enough. But, you know that's part of like being good at things is like being able to absorb influences and, and juxtapose them into your own music in, in a semi-transparent way. Anyway, you don't want to wear it on your sleeve, but you can't help being affected by all the things you love. That's who you are. You know, yeah. so that stuff comes out, but yeah, I mean, I'm a sixties kid. So, you know, when the cars, I think that's why, like all those bands that came out when we did, they wanted to dress up in beetle boots and skinny ties and suits. And they had bands like the Knack and stuff because they did want to experience that sort of beetle experience of when they were kids, but they were too young to do that then. So now they're doing it, only it's a different era. And technologically, we're carried along into you know drum machines and synthesizers and stuff like that, where then we would have hired a, you know, a string section. Right you know, and percussionist. So it's a different window dressing, but you're absolutely right. At the heart of it, it's just good old stuff that we all love that we just bring to the table. And that's the, each band, those ingredients of those four or five people is a recipe. And that's what those five sound like, you know. So I'm going to bridge this into the empty hearts, but I would ask about the cars. Like, were you all aware of all of that then? Like, like it's very natural for any of us once we especially get into our 20s to sort of hit that nostalgia point where we start feeding on nostalgia, where we start looking back at the music that we did grow up on 15, 20 years before that, to have those elements incorporated. But again, you were doing something new. You were, you were helping make this new, you know, niche genre of rock. Um, while you were at it, but were you aware that it was kind of this reaching into the future and looking back at the same time? Maybe we were aware of it, but only like standing outside of it, sort of like in a journalistic sense. Like we were just doing what we do and and we were just carried along in the energy of the time. You know, there was that DIY energy of punk, which that's what wasn't what we were, um, but there was that kind of energy of just not so much being punk rock, but blowing away some of the pomp of Prague and and some of the you know the the, the the endless disco martial beat of boom 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 and and 16th note hi-hats and stuff and just getting back to like that basic you know backbeat you know and some rock and roll and you know it, it's no different if a, if uh, Chuck Berry had come out in that era he would have made use of the tools that were available to him then you can't help it. And so in, in a way, in a funny kind of way, a genre or a style is almost defined by its limitations as the parameters of like, as much as what it isn't as what it is. Like for instance, you know, rockabilly, you know, you had that fourth chord, no more rockabilly or right. however you want. You know what I mean? So like 
you have to work within the parameters of that style. That's that's interesting that it's so much of like uh, otherwise we, it just what, becomes something else or it becomes a hyphenated thing. Yeah, I was gonna say you know we we talk about uh, eras and and genres, but it, they really do have to go hand in hand. Uh, is, is a lot about what you're saying. It's it's what is available in that era that leads to that genre uh, almost. I I do believe so because I think any any art as as they say just holds a mirror on what's going on in the world and a mirror on society. And so, you know, look at today's music, it's very violent, very aggressive, and it reflects some, you know, and so music always reflects what's going on. Art, books, movies always reflect what's going on in the world. And I think we, you know, we're just in the world. But what I think, what is kind of cool about the cars is that I think we've, I'd like to think anyway, that we've managed to transcend that new wave tag that writers would put on the band just because we came out in 1978. Right. Because, you know, I think the thing that served our band so well and helped the music endure, and in fact, n- newer generations of, 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 of younger people are discovering the band and like it. And I think a big part of that is Rick's poetry, Rick's lyrics. The fact that he explored more of the dark side of the human experience, uh, you know, uh, who, who's gonna hold you down when you shake? I needed someone to bleed or whatever you want. We weren't walking on sunshine. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, new wave. I mean, I don't know. New wave. My mom was a Juilliard trained singer. I got my first guitar when I was three. So I really didn't really care about that new wave thing. And I certainly didn't want to be associated with like, you had to be out of tune and couldn't play good to have any street cred. I didn't give a damn about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to be a real good musician and, well, and and make great records. That, that, you both did both of those. Because again, those songs are still standing today. You know, there, there's not a moment when Drive doesn't come on the radio that I don't stop everything that I'm doing because I want to hear it. There's not a moment when Shake It Up comes on that I don't dance. You know, it's going to happen every single time. I mean, that's a testament it, it, of the songs. It, it, it could be, I hope to think it, it never becomes cloying because of the, the sense of irony that's in, in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. There's always an edge. Sure. You know, there's, there's always a little smirk. And so it's never like, la, 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 you know. <laughs> right. Well, again, tying that uh, to the empty hearts here. So here you have a group of friends, again, who all came to prominence around the same time. And for similar styles of music, for the tools that you're using at the time, but now you are, have allowed yourself to lean all the way back. The '60s sound that you do find all of this is that something that you all and, and again, this is a second record, so it's it's not like the first time we've had, you know you've had this conversation. But but is was there a time where you say this is the band we want to do and this is the sound we want to do because we love that music, or is this the ingredients that came when you put it all into the bowl? Well, it was just, it was the, it was the progression with the first album. We, we were already friends, but we had never been a band before. So that takes time. And so, you know, making your first record is almost like a getting to know you period. And, you know, after making the record together and having rehearsed together and, and going on the road and traveling and having meals and hanging out and having some laughs, it starts to become a band. And, you know, even though, you know, you think, you know, people cause you've met them over the years, it's a different thing living with them and creating with them and, and, you know, really trying to dig in with somebody and create something. And so 
you know, it's a progression. So we're, we, as far as a band dynamic, we were tighter as people and tighter musically for the second record. So able to stretch our legs a little bit more and, and push against those boundaries a little bit and see, see where the fence was, you know, maybe it's a little further out than we thought on the first record. And so if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so have a little fun with it. It, it. it was always in us to do something like that, but I just think it's a progression. And if the first record is a bit more tentative, I think it's only natural just because it's a, it's a first record. We, it wasn't like the cars where we had the benefit of like, you know, gigging for a year and that record was our club set. We just recorded it in, in 12 days. This was like, we had to become a band and we all live all over the country and there's logistics. And so to do this thing, one guy's in Rochester, one's in Detroit, two in LA, you know, it's not the same as when we were 23 and, you know, just all in the same town and everything, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but definitely, I think we stretched the boundaries on this one. I think we found a little bit more what we can do. And uh, Andy's uh, Fab Gear studio in Rochester is unbelievable. If you're a, 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 a geek like we are for like that kind of stuff, I don't know if you are, Kyle. But if I tell you that he has Mellotrons and sitars. Absolutely. And every cool Vox amp and Marshall and Fender and every kind of guitar that the Stones and the Beatles, I mean, he wrote the book Beatles gear, and the Stones gear book. So talk about like having fun geeking out, dulcimers, every, pianos, tack pianos. So we used all, a lot of those sounds and, and did, did a lot more sonically, we, you know, a, little, a lot more ear candy and used some of those instruments for overdubs. And, uh, and la the first record we, we brought in our friend Ian McCloggan may he rest in peace uh, from the, the faces and the small faces. And he played the Hammond and the world's a piano for us. Uh, and this time our friend, uh, friend uh, Teddy Andriatis came in and played, uh, who's a wonderful player. And um, he's played with Guns N' Roses and a, a lot of different people. And so um, he, he put Mellotrons and Hammond organ and that stuff. And then we poked around after he left them put some, you know, Mellotron things in different keyboards, clavioline, like on Baby, You're a Rich Man, that weird oboe sounding instrument. Right, right. Andy has everything, any piece of ge classic gear. And so it's so much fun, you know, yeah. anything you could think of is, he has it. It's right there. There's one song that really, I, I feel you guys stretching out. It's one of my favorites on it. Uh, Jonathan Harker's Journal. Uh, and this to me, like, you know, I wrote down the blasters. It kind of reminds me of that. Uh, I always call that a bit like desert rock, you know, like you can, you can imagine the sidewinder skittering across the sand of a right. song like that. Right. And it's, it's, it is, it's very different from a lot of the other songs on it. And you're so, I think it's you doing the solo, but the solo anyway, ah, every time, yeah, every time it comes on, I'm going, ah, yes. So tell me about this one because it stands out. It's different. It's it's got this the, the right that yeah. that one, so that riff was something Andy came up with, and just this cool little bendy kind of make almost sounds like a warped record, and and I played it. He showed me what he had there. And we we wrote it as a song and finished made a song out of. He had this riff, and I, and I did all the guitars and while he plays some rhythm on it and. I did all the guitar stuff, all the solos and all the overdubs and stuff like that. So, well, thank you. I'm glad you like it. That's a fun one. It's the thing that all like a little something different. 
like another like sort of 180 is um, Death by Insomnia. Right, right, which uh, that, it closes out the record, right? And it's, again, that's a, a he- kind of a heavy thing going on. At the end. For me, it was like a cold turkey, plastic Ono, stark, harrowing going for. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 temperature's rising. And it's that, you know, uh, it, it, it aspires to be that. Um, I wrote that one myself, <laughs> I have to admit, <laughs> Death by Insomnia. I was going to sing it, but the, the logistics of where we did the vocals, I couldn't get there, and I'll probably sing it live. But, you know, that's another one that's crazy, you know, um, you know, uh, or uh, Haunting of the Tin Soldier, mm. very, very sort of white album, almost kind of like something like, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, like, everybody's got something to hide or, or like, you know, glass onion kind of song. Oh, happiness is a warm gun. Like mm-hmm. those songs that kind of have like change movements and go into like three, four, or go into a rock section and stuff. I love all that. I was, I have to admit, I was like really into this, like lend me white album vibe when I was writing for this record. And that's cool. You know, stuff mm-hmm. comes out, you know, the world's gone insane. That that's, that was another riff I wrote. Uh, just kind of just like a heavy rocking thing. And Clem came up with the title. It was recorded before the world went this insane. <laughs> but, it, but it did mean something at the time. Like, I, I was going to ask that because... Yeah, like, it was insane enough. <laughs> right, because we, we can apply it to anything we want on any given day, I think. But I, I, was, I was like, I wonder what, what specifically set him off that day. Well, it wasn't that long ago. So, I mean, I'm not going to get political, but the, we thought as crazy as they were going to get, we didn't know the world was going to close. Right. So it was crazy enough to make that comment because just what was going on mm-hmm. with uh, things, you know. Politically, in, it's okay. <laughs> current, current events in the sure, world, yeah, yeah. society right now. Uh, but, you know, but then... All this craziness, this pandemic happened, and, and it, it, it's, it's timely, but we, I'd rather it weren't, you know. Right. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a lot of songs do go. Yeah. Um, I, I complimented your solos a minute ago, and, you know, I was reading one of your other recent interviews, and, and what I found really interesting was when you're talking about how you do a solo, you said you don't wing solos, you compose them, uh, going all the way back to the cars and everything. What do you search for? Because... A lot of your solos, you know, there's a strong melody to them. You can sing along to them. My favorite solos are the ones, you know, you turn to your friend who's sitting in the, the passenger seat and you're both singing the solo as if it were the chorus. That's right. And that's my goal. It's part of the song, especially growing up on AM radio in the 60s. It's part, and the solos were short and there was not a wasted note. They were a statement. So what I think about when I'm, my process a little bit, when I'm trying to come up with this stuff is the first thing I'll think of is, my way in, which is to say, I wanted to be able to take off after the vocal stops and take off from the vocal in some kind of cool way. Because the solo has to, you know, come in, it can't just come blasting, it has to make sense mm-hmm. and have a beginning, a middle, and then an end where it sets back down so the vocal could come in gracefully. Uh, and I usually key off the melody of the song, which I think any, any great soloist from Miles Davis to Eric Clapton, to any great soloist, George Harrison that you want to name, is going to first vibe off the song's melody because that's the, that's the song. And so I'll often use the melody, like in a song like um, Shake It Up, I'll play, uh, 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 just like the melody for the second half of the solo. 
actually playing the melody. So I think about the melody a lot. And another thing that I think gives my solos a little bit more of a melodic contour and a little bit different, like, like separates me, if, 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 if that's the case, that people tell me my solos are different, is that uh, from my, some of my contemporaries, is that I play through the changes, through the chords, the way a jazz player would. Whereas a, a typical rock player, if you say, okay, this is a, a, ro a rock solo in the key of A, generally a guitar player will wail away in the key of A, just playing sort of pentatonic blues shapes, mm -hmm. those boxes that we all fall into um, as a substitute for actual thought <laughs> when all else fails. You know, everywhere, you have to, you have a library of them. And that's, it's, part of, it's part of the deal. But, you know, when, you're, when you play through the chords and when you move through the changes, it's not static, just staying in that one chord, just playing blues rock. It's moving through the chords like a jazz player would. And it gives it a melody all its own that goes along with the melody that those vocalists singing because it's, it's, it's working with the same chords and working with the same chord tones that the singer's using and extrapolating on that. So it like makes sense with the song. And then I'll just, you know, I just wanna just, you know, when there are those short pop solos, like I said, I have my, I'll figure out my entry, my doorway in, and then where it goes from there and add and add till I find the door out. And, um, and the whole point of it is that you can walk away whistling it. Right, right. And so when, when we play concerts, I always play the solos like on the record mm -hmm. because I, I know a lot of people think that or feel that like they should play a different solo live. And I always say, well, no, it's part of the song. And like you mentioned, I'd said like the chance, the odds of me winging a better one live than the one that I, you know, sweated bullets over are slim to none. And I always think like, you know, a guy takes his, his, his girl and spends almost a thousand dollars now to go to a concert, have dinner, buy a t-shirt and you don't play the solo it's almost disappointing it's like it's so satisfying like we say you do a song like touch and go and I, I i nail the solo and they're like going he's doing it he's doing it and it makes me happy like sometimes they have tears in their eyes like you know they're so happy it's just like the record and they get goose pimples you know and i do too it's a it's a shared thing so i always think it's like the best to like just nail it like the record because that's that shows that you're really going for it you know i, I, I like that you brought that up to a touch and go and, and and you mentioned shaking up different records but I, it wasn't until i started reading about uh the panorama record uh, you know now that it's on its 40th anniversary year that i had noticed i'd paid attention finally that shake it up was originally meant <laughs> for that and for that record to sound the way it does again time space where you guys were at I thought, I wonder, I wonder if Shake It Up would have sounded differently had it been on that record. I think there's no question that it would have, but it was that song um, and it was that sort of very poppy song. And I think that's maybe why it didn't get on the record. It would have been a different record. Um, I won't mention who, but one, we were very, you know, Rick was very easy going about songs. He was very prolific. And if we didn't spark off one, he had plenty of others. He went, okay, well, let's just try something else. Let's get back to that one, maybe another time. No, no drama. And somebody in the band said, that song sounds sort of pedestrian and ordinary. That's the, that was the wording. And first of all, I thought, God, how do you say that to someone who's like just sang you like one of their songs they wrote? Like, 
just I, I wanted to crawl. But Rick just said, okay, <laughs> okay, let's try some others. And so for whatever reason, I always say like, like a record is like a snapshot of, of a band at that point in time. It's where you're at those few weeks or months that you make the record. And so that's where we were at in 1980, making that Panorama record. Those were the gadgets we had. Those were the things on our mind. Those were the songs Rick were writing. Those are the amps I was using. You know, that's the food we eat that, that year. You know, it, and so the next album is something different. It's two years later and we're two years older and two years more experiences. That one I know is uh, Panorama is kind of the, the great overlooked album sometimes in the, in the, when you, I guess when you stack it up to some of the bigger records and everything, but, but I love that it's getting so much attention right now. It's kind of, it's like, this is, this has been a long time coming. It's a great record. It's a, it's a funny, it's cool. I'm glad, you know, I mean, we never thought it was like a particularly obscure and we certainly never said this is going to be more experimental or we're going to go further out with the record or anything. We were honest to goodness. It was really just where we were at. Mm-hmm. And we were just, we were just uh, re- reacting to Rick's latest batch of songs. It's, and those were the songs he was writing then. That yeah. was the songs. So, you know, I mean, you never know. And then, like the first record in Candia were, were really successful records and sold many, many records. And Panorama did well, but didn't instantly out of the box uh, go like multi, multi platinum like the others. And so people thought, oh, it was a little more edgy or something. I don't know. I, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't in my mind at the time. It was just, I guess, you know, not to intellectualize this stuff, but anytime a record is huge, you know, or anything, it's about capturing the zeitgeist and capturing the public's imagination at that moment in time with what they want at that moment. So I, I, for the first two records, the public, they were really, that was really a lot of people wanted. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain this. Stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you'd, you'd, every record you make would be a hit. Yeah, well, it's still a damn fine record. And I'll say that, by the way, about the final Cars record that came out just a few years ago. Uh, you know, at WFPK here in Louisville, like we still play Sad Song. We still play Keep On Knocking. You know, we, I think we still play Free. Uh, we, uh, you know, this was a really good record too. And, and, and I don't know, was it meant to be the final chapter or did you guys think that there was going to be another Cars record down the road beyond that one? The door wasn't closed on it. We, we never like had specific conversations, but but after the um, after the week we spent together at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, we there was a lot of like we nice bonding and we spent a week rehearsing and again becoming a band again. Sure, you know? sure. And it was bittersweet, of course, without Benjamin there. Um, but again, the old humor comes back. The, every band has their own sort of code and language and inside jokes and all that comes back and you know it, it all, it's just like it, you never left and so i we left on a very very good note i guess is what i'm trying to say and the door was not closed on the possibility of doing more work the four of us you know yeah. but now you know it's a a hell of a legacy the the entire catalog and 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 you know it's been so much fun watching what everyone had done beyond that uh, yourself included i know the empty hearts it's um you know, it's it's not your first supergroup beyond the cars. It seems like you've uh, done some fun collaborating. Pandemic aside, any, I mean, do you have any more of those in the works? Do you, you, you know, what what comes next for you? Well, what comes next is 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 to get out and play. I mean, 
I'm, I'm writing and I'm playing every day. And, I, you know, you're going to do that anyway, because it's just what you love to do. Um, but what's next is what we were so what we were going to do before we were so rudely interrupted. For instance, the record came out August 28th. Well, we had the Whiskey Go-Go in Hollywood booked, and we were going to have this great uh, record release party and all these cool people and Rodney and everyone was going to come and have a great time and play and take off on, on the road and, and start playing and getting this music in front of people, which as you know, I mean, even in the old days, you had to play. You, you couldn't just throw a record out there. Right. A few people, Steely Dan, a few people didn't tour, Harry Nielsen, a few people didn't tour. You know who they were, but for the most part, you know, you, you had to get out there and promote a record. It's kind of flip-flop now where a record is more of an excuse to tour because nobody buys records and musicians make their, the bulk of their income from live performance. But the point being is that that's certainly foremost in our minds as far as coming up next is we really would like to get out there and play. <laughs> Man, seeing you guys, I, I, I know I'll be there. When it ever happens, I'm going to be there. Oh, uh, so you don't want to pass this. You'll be welcome. You'll be yeah. welcome. Uh, Elliot, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to talk to you about all this. Uh, congratulations on the second album from The Empty Hearts. I'm glad you guys called it the second album. That makes it really easy for us. Anyway, that's, it's not a Traveling Wilburys type of thing, you know. It's a... <laughs> and it, it, was, it wasn't my choice, but I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but it, it is such a fun listen, front to back. Uh, all the way. So congratulations on that. And thank it's you so, so much. Great. I'm so glad you enjoy it. And, and uh, that's the spirit that it was intended uh, you, from, to just dig it from front to back. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Well, thank you for asking good questions. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that too, man. Take yeah. care out there. And uh, I guess we'll see you when we see you. Looking forward to it, man, as soon as we can. All right, man. Come and say hi. Will do. Absolutely. I'll see you. Bye. My thanks to Elliot Easton. Again, the brand new Empty Hearts record is called the second album, 40th anniversary of the Cars Panorama. Might as well give that one another spin as well. Thanks to you for checking out the episode before you get out. Again, I do hope you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. You can get us at all the major podcast hotspots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, wherever you like to get your podcasts from. In fact, the YouTube version of this is the video version, so you can check that out if you want to uh, see this interview as well. And then after all of that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's an hour full of song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, uh, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of them, at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition of Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights.
It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.